This is David's Book Talk, bringing authors and book lovers together in a unique way since 2009. Visit us at davidsbooktalk.com and join the conversation at facebook.com slash davidsbooktalk. But first, pull up a chair, relax, and enjoy today's episode. Here's your host, David English. Hello and welcome to David's Book Talk. Today we have a very special guest. He's going to talk about this new book called Myrtle, Volume 1. G.T. Carver is his name. Hello. Hey, how are you doing? Hey. Well, the first question I have to ask is, what? why the G.T.? Are you... <laughs> Your name is why Greg, I... correct? Yeah, well, you know, everybody with initials has a name. <laughs> but, <laughs> I guess my... Yeah. I guess my, no, my no. what I was saying is, are you hiding behind a name for some reason? <laughs> no, I don't. I don't think so. But but at the beginning of maybe a little bit. When I was a kid, I uh, used to go. My writer pseudonym was uh, GT, which I thought sounded kind of fancy and adult and mysterious and, too. Yeah, yeah. And then when I I came out to LA and went to grad school, I kind of started thinking that was an embarrassing affectation uh, when my friends were writers, you know, and we would chat and meet. It was always sort of strange to sign my writing with a different name. Right. But, so, but it, you get curious. As a reader, you get curious, especially when you see somebody's books, you're like, oh, why is it GT? Why, is it, why don't they tell us their first name? So, yeah, I, well, it was actually kind of intentional. Last, last year, I decided to sort of focus on writing mysteries and only doing you know, a very specific slice of writing, and I thought that it would be good to sort of inaugurate that with a, with like a new name, so that everything that I did, under this name at least, would be mystery-associated, right. uh, and kind of just sort of, it was a little bit of an attempt to kind of reframe my life and my, my interests, so I guess. Let's talk about this beautiful book. This is a really nice-looking book. I mean, it's really well-designed. Oh, thank you. Called thank you. Myrtle Volume 1, that, which leads to the point that there's, there's going to be other volumes, it sounds like. Yeah. In fact, Volume 2 is coming out in uh, mid-late September. Already? September. Yeah, yeah. We've got three coming out to start with. The third one is in the spring of next year. And then hopefully, you know, many more. So these are all, it says, 100 elementary to impossible mysteries to solve using logic, skill, and the power of deduction. So everything we need to solve these mysteries is in this book. Yeah, it's all, it's all logical deduction and, and sort of puzzle solving. There's no, there's no trivia or outside information that you need. It's really my attempt to take sort of the classic fair play mystery, you know, uh, experience and turn it into a, you know, a puzzle a page format. Which is, I mean, and just looking through these, they're fascinating, absolutely fascinating. And I'm wondering, how do I go about figuring these out? Is it, right away the person reading the book thinking, am I smart enough to do these? Can anybody do these? And some are, are more difficult than others. Yeah, in general, they go from, from easy to hard throughout the book, and there's a little introduction at the beginning that teaches you the, the basics of the logic grid deduction. I find that pretty much everybody can wrap their heads around the elementary ones, and once you've wrapped your head around a bunch of those, it gets a little easier to go up to the medium ones, and then a little bit more you can up to the hard-boiled ones. And, Finally, you can do the impossible ones, but it is a sort of a learning process. You've got to kind of teach yourself through the bug. How how smart must you be to come up with all this? How long did it take you to write all these? Uh, well, uh, <laughs> the 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 publisher wanted this book out as soon as possible, so I raced to get them done. The whole thing started when I was supposed to be working on another writing project, and instead of doing my job, I was I doodling. I made a puzzle for a friend on a napkin, and I like took a picture of the my little napkin puzzle and sent it to my friend. And it was basically the first Myrtle, 
but he sort of realized that there was a mistake in my puzzle and that you couldn't definitively find an answer, so I was a little upset and a little embarrassed, so I went home and I worked on putting together a, a computer algorithm to, to generate the puzzles for my friend, because then I knew if the computer made the puzzle, it wouldn't have a mistake in it. Uh-huh. And then I made a couple puzzles for my friend like that, and then we sort of realized that I could set it up to make a new one every day for people. And that's how the, the website started. And then from there, an agent reached out and was like, I think this could be a book. So with the book, I was able to use the, the code that I had created and the time that I'd spent thinking about it uh, in order to you know be able to make them a lot faster. But... Since then, you know, the, the methods of making them and revising them and testing them, you know, it, it's a continually changing experience. On the daily website, the computer just kind of churns a new one out every day based on the mm. writing that I've done and the, the code that I've written. But for the book, you know, each one, they're permanent. So I spent a lot more time perfecting those puzzles, so to speak. There's, it's absolutely. It just has has me absolutely fascinated. Uh, just trying to do some of them, I think. Well, where do I even start? Do I start with what they're saying? Do I start with their motives? Their, or what? It tells you all the different information about all the different suspects. So you're probably you're you're like playing detective here. So right. Yeah. So each one's just a little bit of. I mean, it's a puzzle. For each one is a puzzle, and. How do you know which ones are more difficult than others? Does it go it's, from one to one hundred? Does, does the number one is that the easiest one? Yeah, well, they're divided into four sections. Okay. So the first twenty-five are elementary, and you can tell by the number of magnifying glasses after the title. If, uh, oh. if it's got one magnifying glass, it's pretty easy, and if it's got four, it's pretty difficult. Now, within the section, I think they generally get more difficult as they go. There gets to be a little extra elements. There's, you know, some harder word puzzles, and sometimes the logic gets a little screwier. But for the most part, in each section, they're about the same level of difficulty. So what, what's been the reaction so far from people about this? When did this book come out, by the way? Uh, the, the book, the Myrtle Volume 1, came out in... Gosh, it's hard for me to even think back on it now. Uh, in June, like mid-June. Oh, it's been a while. I thought it was... Oh, wow. Okay. Well, I think that, you know, we... Uh, I've sort of been on a rolling schedule since the next one's coming out so soon as well. It, it feels kind of strange to have been, like, promoting a book that's now out and now trying to switch over to another book. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, how do you keep it all straight in your head? It's very difficult. And the process of writing them, too, is very much overlapping. You know, I was proofing book one while I was writing book two. And then at one point, I was writing book three while I was proofing book two and promoting book one. It's, it's very overwhelming sometimes to switch between three separate books with 100 puzzles each. Have you always, wanted, have you always had this desire to be a detective? I mean, is that something in your life? I mean, did you, even yeah. as a kid? I have always loved mysteries, and especially mysteries that involve some aspect of you be the detective, you know, flip to the back to see if you're right. As a kid, I loved uh, Encyclopedia Brown. Oh, my God, probably. Encyclopedia Brown. <laughs> I think oh, I grew up on Encyclopedia Brown. I, I lived for the next Encyclopedia Brown. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm right, I'm right there with you. Do you yeah. think, you, by the way, do you think you could write ones like that? That's like if you do. Uh, like, like, like Donald J. Sobel? Yeah. Do? Yeah, man, I, I, I don't know. I would, uh, I, I do think that that sort of format is kind of burned into my brain. And I, I, I did try last spring. I wrote a couple of what I was calling uh, Mrs. Facts. Uh, minute mysteries as a mm. sort of a play on Sobel's two-minute mysteries, which I think itself was a play on a ten-minute mysteries or maybe five-minute mysteries from like the 1920s. Yeah. And I, I tried to write some sort of short mystery stories that were based around uh, a fun fact, you know, like mm-hmm. um, 
that so that the not only would you solve a mystery, but you'd also learn some kind of charming little anecdote or to tell your friends. Uh, like, for example, did you know that, that Oxford University is older than the Aztec Empire? Is that right? Yeah, it's true. That's a true story. Although it, it depends upon two sort of, uh, I would say, vagaries in the language, which is that the Aztec Empire formed as sort of a consolidation of several nationalities, hmm. very relatively late, so to speak, and Oxford traces its existence back you know, to before what we would normally consider like a modern university. Well, you'd be a great person to have lunch with. I can imagine all the trivia, you know, in your head that <laughs> you could convey. Yeah. I mean, that you could convey to other people would be wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. You know but the thing, the thing that made Donald J. Sobel's book so wonderful is the clues were all there in the story, and all you had right. to do was figure out what. And so you have basically the same thing here. But it's laid, it's it's obviously laid out a lot differently, but right. But yeah, but, I do think that the vibe of it though. But each each one here, everything there are what four pages most of them. Yeah, four pages it looks the like. The first half of them are two, and then the second half of the book are four. Oh, okay. So, but everything we need to figure out the answer is here. Yeah, yeah. And there's you see on the page there's clues and evidence, and if you go down the list of clues. There's a way for you to take each one of those clues and to, to put that information into the deduction grid that's on every page or every puzzle. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if you know that someone didn't have a certain weapon or you know that, that uh, uh, someone with brown hair you know, was in a certain location, you can convert that information into checks and Xs on the deduction grid, and then you can use that grid to help you make further deductions from the information that you have. So, uh, we were talking about feedback before, I don't know if you ever answered the question, but do you, are you getting a lot of feedback from from readers on this? Yeah, I, you know, I mean, I've made a lot of online games and I've written a lot of stories. And this has definitely been the thing that people responded to the most strongly. People really seem to like it. I get messages from people, you know, about, I just had a message from a, a kid who had fallen in love with it and was making his own, like, Lego myrtles. <laughs> and I, I just got a message from a woman who was on a vacation with her boyfriend, and she said her boyfriend bought it at the airport, and that's all he's been doing the whole vacation. Oh, that's so cool. And so, you know, I guess <laughs> I guess ruining people's vacations is, uh, to me, felt like pretty high praise. I yeah, don't know. not to mention fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, in a, in a fun kind of way. I don't want to ruin people's fun, but you know, it is fun no, that no. when somebody says they're up all night or they're doing, they're they're reading your book that much, it's it's you think, wow, I must have done something right. Yeah, yeah, I, I made this game years ago called Lettuce Climb, where you play as a little head of lettuce and you use your computer keys to climb up this mountain. And the gimmick of the game is that if you miss. One one little ledge, you might fall halfway down the mountain in a race, you know, 30 minutes of your work. And it's sort of a game designed to be really, really frustrating. And I would just get so giddy when I would get emails from people who were just, like, enraged at me. That <laughs> So I don't know if that says something about me, but I, I do think that getting an emotional response out of a game is great, even if it's not always positive. I, I want to. You seem so young. I would guess you're probably in your twenties. No, no, I don't. I take that as a compliment. I'm in my uh, I'm in mid thirties. Really? Well, you sound like yeah. you sound like a teenager. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm out here in L.A. We're all teenagers. Oh, really? So nobody ever ages out there. Is that yeah, why everybody right. goes to L.A.? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they don't have to. They don't have to age at all. Now this. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. Is, is this book currently on the on the bestseller list? It is in in the UK right now. Just last week, we were number two on the Sunday Times. Oh my gosh, that's amazing! Yeah, that's pretty exciting, right? Yeah. It, and uh, was that where it landed first, number two? No, no, no. It um, it took a while. It's, it's been better every week, I think. And uh, here in the US, we have. We have made the USA Today list. I don't think we're on it this week, but it, it comes and goes based on uh, 
online activity, I would say. Now, what about, what about the New York Times? I have not made the New York Times list, which is a little more exclusive. And it's also editorial, so I don't even know if they would consider, you know, a puzzle book, you know, eligible. I'm not really sure what they're... Why not? You put a lot of work into this. Why wouldn't they? Well, I, I certainly did. Yeah, but you know, they, uh, they, you know, they, if the book doesn't meet their, you know, criteria of what literature is, sometimes it doesn't make the list. That's what I've been told, at least. So you, you've know. already finished one, two, and three? Well, finished is, is a big word. I finished two, and it, it's being printed right now, but in terms of three, the, the writing process for these is a little different than a typical book because, well, it's a puzzle book. Right. <laughs> and so a large part of it, it has to be tested by strangers rather than, you know, getting feedback from other writers and close readers. Uh, on, you know, how the characterization is. I would say that a large part of the feedback comes from playtesters who are telling me, you know, hey, there's a, this puzzle can be interpreted in two different ways, or this line could mean something else, or I think you've missed a clue here. And there is sort of um, several steps of back-and-forth revision that go into each one of them based on the playtesting of them. These aren't, you know how, like, uh, magazines have what they call logic puzzles. These aren't similar to those, are they? Where no, yeah, they are, yeah. I would say, well, you know, it depends what you mean by logic puzzles, because there are a couple different kinds of logic puzzles that could, that you, you, people sometimes refer to as logic puzzles. But this is, a, this is a logic puzzle. They're logic grid puzzles, and people who are familiar with that puzzle form are able to pick these up really quickly. What what kind of advice can you give somebody who who's never kind of done these kind of puzzles before to help them figure these out? I mean, what 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 do you suggest? Well, I I guess I would suggest first reading the uh, read the how to solve at right. the front of the book. Mm -hmm. I think we laid it out pretty well, and I think that if you go through that and follow all the instructions along with the sample puzzle, it'll. It'll make sense. We also have on the website, uh, every day there's a new how-to mini-myrtle that will help you sort of teach you the rules of the game. But there's a certain level of it where when you're making logical deductions, where you kind of have to do it to get it, if that makes sense. Like, there's only so much explaining that can be done. Right, right. Uh, you kind of just have to try. And... I think that people are generally pretty good at wrapping their heads around them if they spend a few minutes to try. Now, I will say, like I said, with the playtesting, sometimes you make a puzzle, seems really clear to you, and then when you send it out to people, it turns out it's not so clear. Oh, and the, oh, and the answers are in the back. I didn't realize you had the answers in the back, too. Oh, yeah. Of course, oh, how cool of is that? Also, there's also a set of hints. So oh, neat. you don't need any further information to solve them, but the hints give you like an extra fact, which sometimes can be really helpful if you're stuck on a certain part. If you're frustrated. And then a lot of the other hints, yeah, and then a lot of the other hints sort of explain a like uniquely difficult or a unique aspect of that puzzle. Like if there's a code that might be used in only that puzzle, or if there's you know, some sort of other twist that you might need a little clarification on. There's a there's a lot of interest in, like, mysteries, even today. Um, I remember there, there was a game show one time called Masquerade Party where they would have a, a celebrity dress up and you wouldn't recognize them, and they would, they would perform in a scene, and, and the scene would have clues as to who the celebrity was. Oh, that's interesting. That's kind of like the Masked Singer. And Richard, but, uh, Richard Dawson hosted it. It wasn't on very long, but I just remember okay. it was so interesting to watch it, and you could figure out, you know, by little clues in the by what he the person might have been saying or how they were dressed up or what scene they were in, who it really was. And I thought, yeah. wow. It's such a cool idea, and yet it didn't it didn't take very well with the audience for some reason. I don't know why, but you know, you never can tell. You never can tell what'll work. I, I had planned when I started going by GT Carver to put out a new 
murder mystery game or some sort of interactive mystery every week. That was my sort of goal. And Myrtle was, I think, the second one that I did. Mm-hmm. And it was just so clearly uh, uh, connected to people. So do you think uh, that, you I think there'll be like Myrtle dolls and a, a Myrtle movie and <laughs> a Myrtle TV show? Yeah. From your lips to God's ears. <laughs> I mean, there's going to be interest somewhere. You can you, you can see it coming. I mean, the people on TikTok and get millions of followers. I'm sure you can too. Yeah, well, we've actually had a lot of really great support from TikTok. There have been some some creators who have made videos explaining Myrtle and talking about how much they like it, and that's been hugely hugely helpful and getting the word out about the book. So I'm curious, have you had any emails from people saying, oh, they're too hard, I can't do these, or tell me how to, more about how to do these? You know, it's funny, I do get a particular kind of that message, which is that uh, there was a form on the website to submit bugs for the, you know, the, the Daily Myrtle, mm-hmm. and pretty frequently someone will report a bug that the puzzle is impossible that day. And uh, they're almost never right. Usually it's the case that they were confused about something and not that the puzzle was wrong. But I think that the feedback that I get of it's too hard usually takes the form of it can't be done. Mm -hmm. So when I get too many it can't be done messages, I know that I need to scale back the difficulty a little. Yeah, we live in a world, we seem to live in a world today where people want everything done for them. It's like we, you know, people don't want to work hard for things. It, it just seems that way to me, just from my work experience and, and dealing with people. There's, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't think anybody ever wanted to work hard. You know, I can't imagine those feudal peasants were <laughs> waking up in the morning and going like, oh, man, I can't wait to plow the field. Well, how, how much hard work is it to create just one book for you? Yeah, I would say it's, it's harder than I hoped it would be but maybe easier than I act like it is. I mean, when you you figure there's a hundred in one book, it seems like so much work. I I think to myself, how in the world did he, I mean, you have to have a really logical mind to be able to to do all this. And and like you I'm sure you use your computer at some point, but even so, there's a lot you have to think through every one of these situations. Right, yeah, it, it helps that the the creation is really the form of the puzzle, the murder mysteries with suspects and, and using the logic grid. And then I, I do, I write a lot of uh, computer code that helps me work on them, you know, helps me use different codes in the, in the clues helps me, you know, I have huge spreadsheets of all of the suspects and locations. I, you know, I think in the first book, there's... I mean, there's were you inspired by Clue things. at all? Yeah, I mean, you know, Clue is kind of a, a, a titan, you know, in the industry, I guess. The, one of the things that I definitely... Uh, you know, was inspired by with Clue is the feeling of, you know, a way to solve a mystery. You know, I mean, for me, not to not to be dismissive of Clue, a game that I obviously played growing up and loved, but, you know, ultimately you're mostly like rolling dice to walk around this mansion, and, you know, nobody knows who did it. You don't find out until the end, and... And I think that if you really love solving mysteries, sometimes the mechanics of Clue maybe leave a bit to be desired. I shouldn't be negative about Clue. It's obviously a great game. It is a fun game. I mean, there's no, there's no doubt that it's a fun game. Is it sometimes seems simplistic? Yeah, of course. But the the joy that you have when you when you can get a group of people around and really play the game and really get into it, it can be a lot of fun. Sure. And there's well, and there's a little. little bit like I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, I was going to say, I think it's a little bit like Monopoly in that regard, which is that the people who are very much into game development tend to sort of look down their nose at Monopoly, which, you know, is kind of long 
in sort of anticlimactically. It definitely causes people to have long fights yeah. and relationship drama, but it gives people this experience of being, you know, a monopolistic property developer, which in America is kind of, you know, one of our ultimate fantasies, I guess. So sometimes I feel like the experience of playing a game mechanically, the rules, uh, doesn't have to be great if the fantasy experience of the game is really wonderful. So of all the hundred in this book, which one is the hardest in your opinion? Well, you know, in my opinion, it's hard to say because for me, I, you know, I, I make the Myrtles. Right. So they're all kind of similar to me in a lot of ways. Uh, I would say that Puzzle 83 in the book, Parking is Murder, is probably, from feedback, the most difficult puzzle in the book. And I kind of liked that that was the case, that the parking one was the hardest, because here in L.A. it certainly is. Parking is a murder. There it is, yeah. And what, make, what makes this one so much more difficult than the others? Well, the way in which the liars puzzles work is you have to spot a contradiction in the combined testimony. So you have to identify the one and only one of the suspects whose statement cannot be true. And in some of them, you can identify that in the easiest ones by just a straight contradiction with one of the facts or with one of the conclusions that you would draw from the facts. Mm -hmm. But in Parking is Murder, it is very difficult to tell who is lying without really working through every possibility. So it's sort of like and a Sudoku thing where you have to go through, you have to be able to think ahead about five different things. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, 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 you know, and I think that uh, Sudoku is kind of a good analog to the puzzle solving aspect of Myrtle in that well, you have to find Right. With Sudoku, you have to say, well, if I put it here, how's that going to affect this? Which is, how's that going to affect that? How's that going to affect... Before you know it, you have five different scenarios you have to see the result of. And that's kind of, it's kind of like chess, where you have to know five moves ahead. Right, absolutely. And I, you know, I'm a huge fan of chess, so I love any comparison to chess. But yeah, that that's... And 83 just, you know, I, like I said, I, I generate them with the help of an algorithm that I made. And so there's a little bit of variance in the difficulty that I sort of, I could maybe try to get more of a predictive hold on, you know, to make the puzzles, uh, to really divide them up and how difficult they get. But there's a really interesting thing about when you design these puzzles, which is that if I was to make it as hard as it could possibly be for each one, they would actually end up being very similar, and they would become easier to solve if you were experienced with them. That's an interesting comment. Yeah, it's a sort of a strange realization, but by making it possible that the puzzles are easier than they first appear, it prevents you from being able to draw quick conclusions from the pattern of the information. Now, this is maybe something that I've overthought a little. So, uh, and most people don't, you know, immediately perceive, but well, what can you say? I love your mustache, by the way. <laughs> it oh, works thank you. That's another thing. Yeah. On the back, on the back cover. And by the way, this book's only $16. It's such a cheap, I mean, you figure, oh, when you work out how little that is, it's amazing. I mean, the books today are thirty, forty dollars. So th this is a huge bargain, and it's in paperback, and you can carry it wherever you want to carry it. You don't have to worry about it getting messed up, and I mean, with the hard cover. You know, to me, that was a thing too with the Encyclopedia Brown books, which is that I remember, you know, going to the bookstore and getting, you know, getting my dad to get me a new one, and they weren't, they weren't like going to break the bank. You could walk out of a, of a bookstore for, with a cheap paperback. And 
Oh, those are the I, days. Those are the days where it's just so much fun to to sell books and because you know nowadays it's like everything's cheaper online. It's it's so much more difficult sometimes to. Oh, you know, and I I myself am guilty of this, where I go to a bookstore and I see a book that looks good and I pick it up, and then I I want to Google it and see what the reviews are. You know, read an article about it. Right, because if it's not if it's not awesome. good, you're not going to like it. Yeah, yeah. Whereas you know, back before all of that, you really had to make your own judgment. I think that there was a way in which that was a more exciting experience, even if it also meant that sometimes you got home and realized you hated it. So, what would be the ultimate for you now that you've done? You're working on these books. They're selling. The first one's selling well already. What would be the ultimate for you? Just making the art New York Times. I mean, or is there something higher you're aspiring to? You know, I, I guess I don't care as much about making the New York Times list as I do about being able to keep making them. If that makes sense. I mean, obviously right. that would help continuing to make. Them, well, are these fun enough fun that you could do twelve? 15 of them? You know, I'll do them for as long as people will solve them. <laughs> right. And but, I, but, the question you know, is, but the question is, will on. they be as much fun, each book? I mean, or will you get to the point where, I'm tired of this. Yeah, I, I, I think that, you know, I'm, I'm always surprised when people like anything I do, and people seem to love these puzzles. When it comes to, am I going to still be excited to keep doing them? Uh, I think it'll depend on me, you know, coming up with interesting themes for the ones in the future. Mm -hmm. You know, these first three are, are volumes. They're kind of loosely themed. Each one has their own little stories and narratives that connect them all. But they're mostly just, you know, a collection of mysteries. And I'm hoping going forward we're going to do more narrowly themed books. And I think that'll be a way to keep them exciting and compelling. Now, here's a here's a good, here's an interesting question: Could you write a murder mystery, say, like, and then there were none? You mean like a a straight novel? Yeah. You know, I I would love to, and I've got some ideas for for some. Who Are we ever going to see those ideas in book form? You know, I I think that maybe that would maybe my two desires here are at odds because. As long as they hire me to make Myrtle books, I don't know how much time I'll have for my novel. Maybe, well, maybe they'll give you your own TV show. Well, that would even be cooler. Get, get 20 or yeah. 20. What's that? Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, I'm out here in L.A. and, you know. And you're photogenic, right? obviously. You have a great picture yeah. in the back. I don't know if I'd be in the show. <laughs> thank you very much for it. Well, I think, no, but I think you're, you're more, you're, I would say handsome enough to, to appear in the show. Well, I appreciate this very do you, much. Do you have a family? <laughs> do I have a family? Yeah. I mean, do you... Uh, <laughs> I, I guess what I'm getting at is if you have a wife and kids, or, or are you... I, I've been with my, my girlfriend, who I live with for the past uh, 12 years now, I think. So, But, but we just have two cats. Oh, okay. So I don't right. have any... I think I'm getting a little too personal here, so just yell at, yell at me <laughs> no, if no, I do. So <laughs> I never know. I, I remember I asked an author one time about their wife, and they were having marital problems, and he wanted me to cut the whole thing out. And <laughs> well, you don't have to cut out. So, <laughs> so anytime, every every time since then, I wonder, well, am I going too far? You know, am I asking the wrong question? <laughs> and, and you never know because I don't know who you are. We've never talked before. Sure. And you know when you see talk shows and you see these celebrities talking to each other, a lot of times they already know each other, so they know what, right. what's going to be asked and what isn't going to be asked. But they've done a pre-interview sometimes. But you had no idea. You have no idea what I'm going to ask you from from question yeah, to no, question. Not at all. It could be anything. <laughs> Oh boy! <laughs> now I'm getting a little nervous about the next one. <laughs> no, 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 no. It is. I hope it's not like that. Um, when what was the first uh, mystery book you read? Do you remember, say as an adult? We know as killed as a child, you were reading Encyclopedia Brown, and probably Nancy Drew and Hardy Boys. I would assume. Yeah, I read a little Nancy Drew and Hardy Boys, but there was, you know, there's really something about those Encyclopedia Browns and how they you know, had the aspect of the solutions printed upside down that really appealed to me. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, maybe this is a false characterization of the Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew, but I never really totally felt like those were fair play mysteries, so to speak. I, I do think that they, like, yeah, that they were, you, I think you're right. Yeah, I think you're right about that. But they still were fun to read. and fun. Oh, no question. No question. Because I, I remember times where I was thinking, boy, I'd love to have her adventures. Yes. Sure. You know, I used to read the boxcar children, and they didn't really solve m- murder mysteries so much, but they did solve, like, m- mysteries. They did go have adventures that there was some secret culprit. But again, they weren't, you know. I don't know if you've ever heard of Isaac Asimov. Yeah, absolutely. And he wrote a series of, of books called The Black Widowers Stories. I have not read those. Those are something you should... What it was is a, a group of people would get together. It was, it was a you know, group that knew each other. And every meeting, they would, they would have a problem they would have to figure out. Oh, that's interesting. So and, these are, and are these short stories? Yeah, they're or? all like short stories, but they're absolutely fascinating to, to read. Yeah, well, you know, I, I love the that iRobot collection for the very same reason, which is that they are they are mysteries or they are puzzles. He, he yeah. had to have the most brilliant mind of any writer ever. Yeah, he's very smart. I mean, and you just look at him and you think, oh, my God, that man looks like he could... He could make me look like an idiot, and no, and no, no trouble at all. <laughs> just because he just, oh, yeah. he, and he, I, I think he was as brilliant. What do you think your IQ is? My IQ? I don't know. I, I think IQ is made up. I think that the guy who invented the IQ test was was a pretty explicit. You know, I, I don't know. I know that the guy who invented the SAT was a because I used to tutor the SAT. And and I, I so you don't think I, anybody could figure out your IQ? Anybody could figure out? I don't think IQs are real. I think that <laughs> you really don't think they are. <laughs> let, me, let me ask you a question: The guy who invented the IQ test, what do you think it said his IQ was? <laughs> exactly. You think, that, you think that it came back and said he was an idiot? That guy workshopped that test until it said he was the smartest person he knew. That's, that's how I feel about it. And what if you take the test and you're having a bad day and you just can't figure things out? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's always like, you know, how many blocks are in this picture, you know, and there's a right answer. I, I will say I test very well, but I don't think that it, it means as much as people act like it does. I think you get good at solving but I think a it would, certain kind of puzzle. I think you're right. I, but I also think it would be interesting to see how you would turn out if you did the IQ test, too. Yeah, well, as a kid, I was a very sort of, very proud of being, you know, a smart kid. So I, I think that I've... Are your brothers know, and I, sisters as smart as you are? I am an only child, so oh, I okay. can't say. I, I think they'd probably be smarter, though. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you see, you're very, you're very humble. Very smart. I like yeah, the well. fact... I like the fact that you're humble. You're not like really, if you were really full of yourself, I probably wouldn't be talking to you right now. You'd probably be moving on to the next person. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah. Well, because I, I only say that because I've, I've talked to authors who are like that and then, you know, don't really, you can tell they don't really want to talk. Yeah, well, I love talking, so that's maybe a way. <laughs> but, I mean, see, writing is such a solitary experience. I mean, you're writing, so at, in the one instance, you're thinking, well, they're used to being alone, but wouldn't you think after a while they'd be bored with being alone and want to talk to somebody? Yeah, I mean, for me, writing has always been a very communicative social experience. Like, I very much like to write to have people read stuff rather than, you know, to, like, figure it out on my own. And then, you know, when I was going to grad school, I, I went to U.S. I ended up going to USC up in L.A., wow. but I interviewed at some MFA programs, and I had this guy at one place tell me that he felt that a novel was finished when you typed out the last page, you could put it in a drawer, it was done. It didn't matter if it was released, it didn't matter if anybody read it, you'd written it, that was the purpose of, you know, the art. And, oh man, I, I just couldn't couldn't feel more differently. The idea of spending a lot of time to write a book and then put it in a drawer, it just, 
Well, do you, you know, do you have an editor that goes through your puzzles to make sure they're totally accurate? Uh, I have a uh, my book editor. We spend a lot of the time creatively working on the story, the jokes. Uh, I've sort of my goal with the books is for them to be the funniest murder mystery puzzle books ever. <laughs> it's a pretty narrow category, so I think it's. I mean, I don't mean to, you know, dispel your. Your humble notions. I do think that Myrtle is the funniest murder mystery puzzle book that exists. And I think that's because nobody else really has had that goal. Mm -hmm. uh, and we focus a lot on that. And then in terms of the puzzle logic, we let kind of a small army of Myrtle testers uh, give us that feedback. Because there's really no feedback like the experience of someone trying to solve it. Right. And I would also say that Myrtle is different than a lot of other puzzle books in that it doesn't attempt to have every puzzle be radically new, to be, you know, very challenging. They're supposed to be kind of bite-sized little pieces of entertainment where you can get this experience of solving a mystery without having to sort of, you know, rack your brain and, you know, drive yourself to tears. Some of these puzzle books are made for people who all they do every day is solve puzzles. And, you know, they're like drug addicts. You know, you need harder and harder stuff. Right. What's the one with, what's the, one with the word now that's all the... 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 Wordle. Is it Wordle? Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, Myrtle was of the, like the games that came up around there that that jumped on that idea of combining something with the word puzzle. Right. You know, and, and it, Wordle, I would say, is a great example of the kind of puzzle that I think Myrtle is, which is Wordle is very accessible. Anybody can do that. Anybody can sit down and do it. It's not going to take you an hour to do it. And well, what should, what should be the time limit on your 100, these 100 puzzles? I mean, how long should it you know, take... I mean, if you are a, a Myrtle addict, those first puzzles, uh, an expert can solve them as fast as they can read them. Hmm. And, you know, there's a timed, uh, we timed one of our, uh, our absolute experts racing through it, and they created a score that I don't think will ever, I don't think will ever be beaten. But those first 25, you know, an expert can solve them in three, four minutes. Oh, my goodness. But, but, but I would say that a, a typical person new to Myrtle probably would spend about 15 minutes on them. There is, I think that the seventh one in the book introduces a new little wrinkle, and that sometimes takes people, you know, another 20 minutes to solve that one for the first time. Hmm. But by the time that you're finished with the book... You could go back and do the first ones very fast. So there's a point where it becomes, oh, now I got, I've got the hang of it now. I know what I'm doing kind of thing. Yeah, yeah and, and I would say that that is like, you know, that's sort of the sweet spot to be in for someone doing these puzzles, mm -hmm. which is that they've got it figured out, and then they can kind of just, much like Sudoku, once you've sort of figured out how to do a Sudoku, they don't really require you to... You know, you don't start sweating when you do them. Now, for people who are big Sudoku addicts, you know, they need the bigger, most complicated Sudokus that exist. Right. You know, and there's only two numbers in it when it starts, and, you know, it takes them an hour to do. That sounds and, really, that sounds like a headache-inducing puzzle. Yeah, so I'm not, I'm not really, like, I, I love doing a, a difficult puzzle with a friend, you know, and we'll, like, pour over it and talk about it and stuff. But left to my own devices, I won't sit silently and work on, you know, some brain-busting puzzle. I, I, I don't know. I don't... <laughs> it's a weird thing to say as someone who makes puzzle books for a living, but there's something, I don't necessarily... Yeah, there's something... You know. uh, I, I, used, I bought a book one time called Movie Cross Six, and it was all these acrostics, and they... When you filled out 
the the grid it was a, a quote from a movie it was such a cool book and, oh that is cool and I did every puzzle, and I, I went on the internet thinking, I've got to have another one of these. And the guy never did another book. And oh, wow. I was so disappointed because I had so much fun doing them and figuring yeah, it out. Yeah. But then the thing with acrostics is when you do like the New York Times ones, they're always so much more difficult. And they come up with these yeah. words that you've never heard of before. Right, right. Or, or, yeah. or they're French, you know, you have to know French or Spanish or whatever. And I, I don't know how people do it. I don't know how people know the Spanish word for gold or, or I mean, some of them are, I know were easier than others, but I mean, how do you come up with a, a difficult Spanish word if you don't know Spanish fully? Right, you, right. You have to look it up. You're not going to know it in your brain unless you're brilliant. You know, I, I've been looking into making a mystery-themed crossword with a friend of mine, and we've We've read about the process of constructing them a lot. And, you know, like any other puzzle, there's sort of uh, institutional wisdom that's accrued. And with, with Crossroads, for example, they are made with the assistance of computers, particularly for the process of creating or generating what's called the fill. Mm -hmm. which is just the sh those short words that take up every corner of the puzzle. So those are done with the assistance of computers that you put in big word lists. So a part of the art of making a crossword is assembling your comprehensive word list. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it's sort of interesting because I think for me as someone who had never really thought about making a crossword before, I don't think that I fully appreciated that the process of filling out those squares is not really the difficult thing. The difficult thing is putting together words that are both common enough for people to know, but unique enough that they haven't seen before in a hundred other crosswords. So, with this book and all the myrtles in here, is there one or two that were more difficult than others to create, or did they all take about the same time to create? And how long did it take to create one of them? I would say that the process of making them was... It's interesting because... The system that I've set up for making them, the puzzles should be about equally as difficult, but for whatever reason, some of them seem cursed and present perennial problems for reasons that are almost hard to articulate or even understand. There was a puzzle in the first book, number 61, I believe, that Every time we sent it out to testers, there was some new problem with it. Is that so, the Island of uh, Bad Dreams? Uh, yes, I believe so. And I might be confusing, too, though. Uh, I, it all runs together when you've made 300 of them. But there was one where every time we fixed it, there ended up being another problem that was introduced. And then the actual, in the first edition of the book, one of these puzzles, I think number 61, actually couldn't be solved and needed an extra clue to be solvable. And so we had to put like an errata on the website. But fortunately, the first edition of this first Myrtle was a very small printing, so... Now, this book's available in all the Barnes & Nobles, all the bookstores all over the country? Yeah, yeah, and, uh, and worldwide, too. We've sold... Uh, we sold into the UK market, and then there's an Italian translation that's out right now. There's a, a one in the Netherlands, the Dutch translation that's coming soon, and then we've got a Vietnamese one, a, a, a Korean one. Well, you're in, you're in a very exciting time right now. It's a great time. I uh, I've been feeling like I need to go get a physical to make sure that I'm healthy because things have been going so. Do you well. not feel healthy? 
No, I feel great. I feel too good. That's what I mean. I feel like I'm waiting for the other two. <laughs> Something bad's going to happen because I'm having all this good happen to me. Yeah, it's a strange feeling when you're, you know, a creator in Los Angeles to have things go well for a change. It, sometimes I have to pinch myself that, that I know a lot of some, uh, so many famous authors. I, I, I know Michael Connolly. I know I knew Mary Higgins Clark before she died. And, and I mean, there's all these authors that I know now. And I've just gotten to know Dean Coons now. And, you know, you have to pinch yourself. Do I really know these people? Am I really that important that they would even care about me? Yeah, it's a, it's a crazy feeling. But, you know, I mean, I think we're more important than we sometimes judge ourselves to be. What if you could if you could have lunch with any author you wanted? Who would it be? Living or dead? Or yeah. Well, living or dead, probably Agatha Christie. Oh, there you go. You know, it's hard to it's hard to talk Christie. You asked about my first book as an adult, and I never really answered. Yeah. Or first mystery as an adult. And I I don't know that this is really true, but I I do remember reading, and then there were none in high school, and kind of being blown away that. Yeah. This woman had invented the slasher film, had invented, you know, they get picked off one at a time. Just to see something that was so fully realized and in so many ways so ahead of its time. And, and the thing with a book like that is you have to make it authentic, too. It can't be, you can't make it funny. It has to be serious and it has to be taken seriously. And you can't just say, well, we're going to kill all these people off and just do it so fast. They won't even. It has to be accurate. Yeah. And it was. Well, when you talk about, when you talk about making it funny, I feel like that's the thing that I sort of deal with a lot because obviously Myrtle is very funny, or mm -hmm. I hope it is. And, you know, there's two types of mystery comedy. There is, the kind like Clue where you're sort of sending up the genre or murder by death and you're not really expecting people to solve it as a mystery. You're kind of just expecting them to laugh at the tropes and conventions of the genre. And then there's another kind of mystery comedy uh, like Brian Johnson's work with Knives Out and Black Onion and in his show right. uh, Poker Face, which is funny but not, it doesn't really joke about the reality of the world right. tries to keep a pretty strong foundation on on what you know what is true. See, that's the problem with comedy is sometimes you don't know if something was a joke or if it was real. Right. And I think one of the great things for mystery comedy is if you can put a clue in the form of a joke, people sort of don't ponder it in the way that they ponder. I think there was a Chesterton essay where he talked about how the difficulty of a mystery writer is that aspects of the reveal that are included in the book have to have justifications within the text of the book, not only for why that character, you know, for example, if you have like a plumber shows up and the plumber's the murderer, uh, but you have to explain why there's a plumber there, not only in the book, oh, the, you know, a pipe burst, like, so that we call the plumber, but also why an author would include this subplot about a plumber that shows up if that wasn't relevant to the ultimate reveal of the mystery. I'm amazed because you even... I'm amazed you even you. remember Murder by Death. It's been so many... That was out before you were even born. Well, you know, I mean, so was, so was Clue, to be frank. <laughs> That's true, too. <laughs> so you're, you're like, I mean, you're, you're in your 30s, but you're, you're, you, you talk like you're in your 70s or 80s. Well, earlier you said I sounded like a teenager. Yeah, you do. So. But, I mean, the things you're talking about are 40, 50 years old, and people, people yeah. are thinking, now, he must be older than he says he is. No, but I believe you. I believe you. I believe you. It's just, you know, it's like, wow, how does he know those references? I mean, there are people who, that I work with who don't even know who Dolly Parton is. Yeah, well, Dolly's a great. <laughs> but it's it's astounding what these the youth of America don't know about. Yeah, it's crazy. I looked up um, recently. I, for a project I was working on, I looked up celebrity birthdays, mm -hmm. you know? I was like, okay, what, what celebrities are born on this day? I was trying to find a celebrity born on every day for a thing I was working on. And when you Google this now, the celebrity birthdays 
they're all a bunch of like 14 year old TikTok stars you've never heard about. It's right. like, you know, that person was born on June 6th, and it's like, I've never in my life heard about this person. You know, and then they have, you know, 40 million TikTok followers, and. You know? <laughs> I mean, you're, you're, I'm sure you're going to be very, very successful doing this series. I can't imagine that it won't be. It's already a success in, in a lot of ways, but it's amazing how a little idea like this can become something, can grow into something so big. And right. I'm sure you're making, you could make a career out of this. It, it is really wild to talk about the little things growing, because like I said at the beginning, I made this as a puzzle for a friend. And, you know, it just immediately, people liked it. You know, if I sent it to another friend and said, hey, well, were you worried? Pe were you worried people weren't going to like it? Well, you make a lot of, you know, I, I love making small things. I made a lot of little online games. I made a lot of little online projects. I've done a lot of shows out here in L.A. And when you make something, you know, you always hope people like it. But once you've done it, you know... <laughs> Once you're not in your teens or your early twenties anymore, well, didn't, you kind you kind of stop expecting that everything will be like a monstrous success, and you start. Well, didn't you didn't you, you have know, some kind of an idea that you had something special here? Ah, you know, I I don't know. I don't know if I did. I, I'm trying to think because. Well, you obviously, when you're writing these, you're not thinking to yourself, "Well, this is the dumbest idea ever. Why am I doing this?" Right. 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 So you and have I, to. I did, you have to have some yeah. kind of confidence that what you're doing is going to be somewhat successful, that somebody's going to enjoy it. Sure. But, but you know, again, like, I started this this mystery. I started last year with this idea that I was going to try to make as many different mystery games as I could. And I, I don't know that I expected Myrtle to sort of end that, if that makes sense. Because since then, I haven't put out, like, a competing mystery game. I sort of have only focused on this. Right. And I did. I don't think that I expected that. I, I think, in fact, right after it came out and my now, you know, my wonderful agent got in touch with me for the first time, uh, Melissa Edwards at Stonesong, mm -hmm. right? And... You know, it, at every step, I sort of was like, okay, this might be good, but it probably, you know, it, it probably won't be anything and, and not to, you know, put all my eggs in the basket. Well, even when we were shopping the book around, I was still working on the next game, you know, expecting to just keep making. In a lot of ways, it surprised me, and I think that's kind of been a, a benefit because I think sometimes it's it's easy to get caught up in you know, uh, you're just convinced that this next idea is going to take over the world. Mm -hmm. And then it, you know, when you release it and it doesn't knock everybody dead, you, you know, it's a little dispiriting. And you yeah. wonder that as a reader, you wonder what's, what this, I remember when I first read The Girl on the Train, that book by Paul Hawkins, which turned into a two million copy bestseller. And I'm, I right. think to myself, what made this book stand out that people read this more than they would read another? Because there's other books just like this out there. It's not. Yeah, yeah. It's not an unusual idea. But somehow, I read that book. I was totally enthralled with the character, and I totally enjoyed the book. But you want—it makes you wonder what what did she do that other other people didn't do? Yeah, I, and I, I don't know, you know, I, I have gotten into the trap before when I've made other things that did well of sort of trying to reverse, excuse me, reverse engineer, like, what it was. And, you know, it's very easy after the fact to identify the aspects of it that made it successful, but then it's very hard to take those lessons and apply them forward. It seems like at some level there's just kind of a magical alchemy that happens where you make something that just resonates with people. I think, honestly, a huge part of why Myrtle works is that it is very sort of small and unthreatening and it's delightful. I I'm not trying to write... And you're not offending anybody either. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I, it's, not, it's not too edgy. 
and we made the book a little less edgy than the website can be, not that the website's offensive or anything, but, you know, at all the levels of it, we're trying to make something that people enjoy, and I think sometimes, at least for me, when I get tripped up is when I start trying to make something that people will think is great and think that I'm great for making, mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to making something that is fun. Well, what's what's more important? I, I, I would. What's more important to you, to have everybody love your books or for you to be successful financially? Let's say. Yeah, you know, I mean. Uh, well, those two things I think are pretty simple. <laughs> well, yeah, it's true too. To imagine, you know, one without. Uh, I think that if, if I had to, you know. But if I said to you, if I said to you, yeah, if I said to you, you could either have ten million dollars, or everybody would love every book you have. Which would you pick? <laughs> you probably pick the ten million. Now we're asking this question: If I have this ten million, do people hate me, or am I people <laughs> yeah. not know about me at all? Right, exactly. <laughs> But I don't think I can handle people hating me. I don't think that that would be worth it. But right. if you have all this money and everybody says I hate your books, you know, which will never happen. Yeah. But it's it, uh, it's right, interesting. Right. It's interesting to think, you know, which is more important to an author. And then I, oh, I always like to get inside the mind of an author and see what they're thinking. You know, see where they're coming from. I mean, some authors are all about, you know, the, all about the reader. How can I make this book interesting for the reader? But some authors say they write books based on what they would like. So in other words, if if they like this certain thing, they're going to write about it because that's what they like or that's what they're interested in. Right. I I do think that a huge part of why Myrtle worked was that I made it for a friend and it was designed around that friend and his own taste in puzzles and the things that we share an affinity for. And so it was made with a kind of clarity of purpose that I think sometimes you lose when you start out trying to make something for, you know, a abstract audience that you've called up in your head. I should mention the book is out from St. Martin's Griffin. I don't think I mentioned that earlier. I should, though. Yeah. They won't like that. I didn't tell the publisher's name. Now, you said this one came out in June. There's one coming out in September? Uh, Yes. And then where do we go after that for the third one? Well, and then there's a third one coming out in late, uh, I don't know if spring is the right word. Spring. I'm not 100% sure if it's technically spring or or late, late winter. I think initially it was going to come out in late winter, but we pushed it a little. I don't exactly know the release date for three, but but spring of next year, I'd say, was pretty good. <laughs> and now, how many countries did you say it's it's going to go into eventually? Well, I think it's in right now nine foreign territories. Right. But some of those are multiple countries, and some of them are like n- not countries, I guess, so mm-hmm. to speak. Uh, you know, so, but it, it's been, yeah, it's, you know, it's around the world. I, I, it's hard for me to even wrap my head around it. But, you know, we just learned that we sold it into Brazil. And I mean, that's so cool. I'm feeling the excitement yeah. that you're feeling right now. So, I mean, yeah, it's kind of been astounding. And I would say St. Martin's has just been uh, unbelievably supportive and helpful and you know, the other one shopping it around the world, and it's truly been something else. And I, and I love, I have a great editorial team in in the U.K. as well, uh, mm-hmm. at, uh, at Profile Books, and then it's, it's run out of a um, an imprint of theirs, I think. But uh, across the board, I've had just great, Great, great support from my publishers. And I, I love the fact that the the magnifying glass, the bottom of the magnifying glass on the cover looks like a tie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's uh, a, I mean, what a great it. design that is. That's just, it's, and it makes you laugh. It's like, well, you know what? The bottom of a magnifying glass does look a little bit like a tie. <laughs> yeah, we had a, uh, Omar Chapa was one of the, was the designer of that cover. It's such did a, a great job. 
it is a terrific it's a terrific book and I I can't wait for everybody to read it and and figure out all these puzzles and 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 let you know what they think of them and I know I have to let you go because you you have to you have to go it's been such a great time talking to you I hope I can get a signed copy of book two or something It'd be cool yeah absolutely absolutely I'll uh, I'll put you on the list wonderful um, and this has been David's book talk and we'll talk to you next time. You have just enjoyed the podcast of David Book Talk, brought to you by your host, book lover, David English. Please visit us at davidbooktalk.com, follow us on Facebook and Twitter, and subscribe to our podcast. We want to hear from you, and we don't want you to miss our upcoming shows with top authors like Mary Higgins Clark, Patricia Cornwell, Lisa Scottolini, Jackie Collins, Nelson DeMille, Michael Connolly, Sue Grafton, Steve Martini, Dale Brown, David Baldacci.